Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chess Pro Baptist Church. We're in a Sunday morning series right now through the book of Jeremiah in a series entitled Faith During Opposition. Uh, the f- title of the first message was Facing Opposition, then Facing Hypocrisy, then Facing Exile, and this week we are Facing Consequences. How do different people face the consequences of their sin? Please enjoy. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38, and that's what we'll be preaching out of today. Jeremiah chapter 38. Now listen, when you preach out of the book of Jeremiah, you're going to deal with some heavy subjects, okay? You're going to deal with some heavy subjects because, listen, Jeremiah is a heavy book. Uh, There's a lot of stuff in Jeremiah a lot of bad things happened in Jeremiah. He dealt with some, some not-so-good subjects. So keep that in mind as we go through the text throughout this series. We've just got another week or two left. And uh, so just keep that in mind and bear with me as we go through Jeremiah. But it is such a rich book. And there's so much in this book that we can share and apply to our lives. So if you have your places in Jeremiah chapter 38, I'm going to ask you to stand one last time in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of Jeremiah 38 and read down to verse number 6. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchijah, heard the words that Jeremiah was speaking to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who stays in this city will die by the sword, and by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans will live and have his own life as spoils of war and stay alive. Thus says the Lord, this city will certainly be given into the, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, now let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in this city. And all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. So Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. The first week of this series, we talked about facing opposition. Then we talked about facing hypocrisy. Last week, we talked about facing exile. This week, we're going to talk about facing consequences. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this place that we can gather and worship and sing songs, Lord. Praise your name. Study your scripture because you've spoken to us. Dear Lord, as we dive into the word of God this morning, I pray that you'd soften our hearts to receive the seed of the word of God. May we apply it to our lives and be better Christians for it. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is a universal truth. It's a truth we all know. It's a truth that I think we know instinctively. 
because it's the reality of the world around us and it's like the law of gravity. It's, it's like a law of thermodynamics. It's like a law of physics. It's part of the fabric of our reality. And it is this, whatever you sow, you will reap. Every action has a reaction. Every action has a consequence. There is cause and there is effect. And in, in reference to what our scripture is talking about today, I have to remind us, and myself too, I have to put myself in the same category because I'm no better than you are. I have to remind ourselves that for every sin, there's a consequence. It's Jeremiah's job to preach the consequences of sin. For years and years, the, the, the country of the southern kingdom of Judah has given themselves over, over to idolatry. And God has given them chance after chance after chance to repent. And they continue to follow after idols. And they continue to try to be like the the the. the, the Canaanite kingdoms that they took over and uh, they try so desperately to be like everybody else. And for years they've given themselves over to idolatry, but now it's time to pay the piper. Now God has commanded Jeremiah to stand up to them, stand up to the people of Judah and tell them whatever I command you. And Jeremiah, I don't care who it is, you stand up and you tell them the truth. I don't care if it's the common people. I don't care if it's the politicians, if it's the officials. I don't care if it's the kings. You point your finger in the king's face and you tell him what the consequences of his sin is. You preach whatever I command you to preach. Now look, I know when we get into preaching the consequences of sin, we're talking about hard truth. We're talking about hard pills to swallow. Why? Because it's our fault. It's our fault. We, we brought it on ourselves. We did it to ourselves. Sin will take you further than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you want to pay. When sin is conceived, it brings forth death. We all struggle with sin. Every time you sin, something dies in your life. We all struggle with it, and we will struggle with it. I've said this many times. Christians struggle with sin. Unsaved and lost don't struggle with it. It's just like another decision to them. But for a Christian, I'm not saying we're sinless. We sin all the time. We sin every day. But Christians struggle with their sin. There's a pull in a Christian to do right, and that's the Holy Spirit. But Jeremiah is preaching that there's only one way to face the consequences of your sin, and that is facing it head on. Jeremiah never stops proclaiming this truth. Let me tell you what we do as Christians. What we do is we live in sin. We all have a pet sin. I've got my pet sins. I've got the sins in my life that does so easily beset me. And if I'm not careful, I will fall into those sins and relish in those sins and keep those sins secret and live in those sins. What we do is we don't want to repent 
and do right because then we'd have to face the consequences of those sins. Jeremiah never stops proclaiming this truth. And we're going to go through chapter 38 in Jeremiah today. And what we're going to do is there are three locations where Jeremiah preaches this truth. The first location is the prison. At the end of chapter number 37, Zedekiah and Jeremiah have had a similar, uh, a similar interaction to the interaction they're going to have in chapter 38. At the end of chapter 37, Jeremiah is in prison. He's in prison, and uh, while he's there, uh, Babylon has laid siege to the city, completely cutting J Jerusalem off from anybody leaving, anybody entering. So Babylon has surrounded Jerusalem. No one can go in. No one can go out. Food is getting low. Water is scarce. And Jeremiah is put in prison. And what that means is he's simply made to live in the courtyard of the guards. So he's in an outside, fenced-in area. That's it. You have to live in the courtyard of the guards. So he's in an outside, fenced-in area. He's been promised by the king one loaf of bread every day until it runs out. That's all he gets. One loaf of bunny bread a day, and he gets it until they've run out of bread. But, you know, even though Jeremiah is in prison, even though he's fenced in and he can't, he can't go anywhere, he still proclaims the word of God. He still preaches the truth of the Lord. And from the gates of his prison, he preaches the word of God. He preaches the word of the Lord. And he says, surrender or die. That's Jeremiah's message. Surrender or die. He says, he who, strays, who stays in this city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. This city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and he will capture it. However, nobody likes his message, but there are some people who desperately, desperately hate Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's message, and it's the officials of the city. Basically, it's the politicians. The politicians of Jerusalem, they grow weary of hearing this preacher preach the same message every single day. Over and over again, he preaches the same message. Every day, the same thing. Judah is given to Babylon. The world is given to Nebuchadnezzar. Surrender or die. And every day, he preaches the same message. One day in a church, a pastor got up to preach a message. He preached a message and Afterwards, everybody came to him and slapped him on the back and shook his hand and said, Preacher, you did a great job. It was a great message. It was great. The next week, everybody came to church and the preacher got up and he preached the same message. Everybody looked around and they thought, well, maybe this guy's a little old. Maybe he's getting a little off and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's just a mistake. He got his paperwork mixed up. And so uh, they let it slide. And then week three comes along and he gets up and he mounts the pulpit and he, he goes to the same text and he preaches the same message again. Well, this time they got to say something. They get a little delegation of men. They go up to the preacher and say, preacher, do you understand for the last three weeks in a row? You've preached the same message three times in a row. And the preacher looked back at the men and said, yeah, I know. When you start doing that, I'll preach something else. 
And, you know, this, that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's just preaching the same message over and over and over. So in verse 4, they go to the king. Verse 4, then the officials said to the king, now let this man be put to death inasmuch he is discouraging the men of war who are left in the city and all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. They came to the king and they said, this guy's got to die. This guy has got to go. This guy has got to be silenced. He's discouraging the men of war who are left in the city. Now that's interesting. It's interesting that they word it that way. The men of war left in the city. What happened to the men of war in the city? Well, a couple of things. Well, uh, number one, more than likely, there are men, the soldiers, men of war, who died in the initial battle before the siege began. There's a good possibility that other men of war have died due to, you know, starvation or disease. But mostly, the men of war were deserting. They were jumping the wall. They would run out to Babylon because guess what? When you gave yourself up to Babylon, you got to live. So the accusation would be that they're discouraging the men of war. Now listen, I understand nobody likes bad news. I get it. I don't like bad news any more than you do. But we do have to acknowledge that sometimes bad news can be good news. If somebody came to you and said, a grizzly bear is running after you, run. That would be bad news. That is good news. Because you were warned of impending doom and you got out of dodge. So sometimes bad news can be good news. And the bad news that you need to repent of sin... The good news of that is that if you do repent of sin, you get to be redeemed. The only way to redemption is through repentance. That's it. Whether you're lost, whether you're saved, the only way to redemption is through repentance. No, the ones who were really peddling bad news were the officials. They said of Jeremiah, this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. Well, who's the one trying to kill a preacher in prison? Who's the one trying to kill a preacher who's preaching the truth of God? Who's the ones who really is not seeking the well-being of the people? But you know what the officials are trying to do? They are desperately, desperately doing their best to hold on to their power. Are you surprised that a politician acts this way? Are you surprised that a politician will say what they got to say, do what they got to do, kiss any baby they want to, they need to, just to hold on to their position, just to keep getting a paycheck? Because that's what politicians do. And so that's what the officials do. They're trying to, and it doesn't matter, hey, by the way, it doesn't matter what party the politician belongs to. They all act the same. I will say in a sense that they're right about Jeremiah's message. His message was negative. He had a negative message. But you know what they missed? In every, even in every negative message from the Bible, in it, there's always grace. 
they missed the grace in Jeremiah's message. It wasn't all doom and gloom. It was all laced with grace. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord, he who stays in this city will die by the sword and by famine, by famine and by pestilence. But listen to this. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans will live and have his own life as spoils of war, and they will live. See, the politicians, they miss the grace in the bad news. See, the problem with people who reject the gospel message is they miss the grace. Why would a good God send anybody to hell? Tell me why. If God is so good, why does he send people to hell? You've missed the grace. He died to give us an escape from hell. He doesn't want us to go there. He's done everything he can do to keep us out. Oh, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering? If God is so good, why is there suffering in the world? Why? Well, don't you know we live in a fallen world? Fallen and death is a part of this world because of sin. And do you realize that God has promised us a world with no suffering, with no death? God has promised us that world. Why did God make me this way if he didn't want me to act this way? Well, we're all predisposed to sin. Because of that fallen world, we're all born with a sin nature. But don't miss the grace that the Holy Spirit can give you victory over every sin. Every sin. Every sin. I'm not saying you be sinless. But he can give you victory over every sin. And people reject the gospel because they miss the grace in the gospel message. Christian, whether you fall or you've fallen, when a Christian falls in sin, don't miss the grace. Your life isn't over. Your service to God has not stopped. There is a way through it, through grace. Cain killed his brother. He fell in sin. He, Cain looked at God and said, this punishment is too great for me to bear. It's a heavy price. But God put a mark on Cain to protect him so no one would hurt him and no one would kill him. David fell in sin. Sin with Bathsheba killed her husband. David fell in sin. And you read the rest of David's life and David paid a heavy price. But he still established David's kingdom forever. Peter denied Christ three times. But through the grace of God, he stood on Pentecost and thousands gave their life to Jesus Christ. There's always grace. So in the bad news of repentance, don't miss the grace of redemption. Christian, you are going to mess up. You are going to mess up so bad. Man, if you haven't already, one day you're going to blow things to pieces. You're going to think back and think, what in the world was I thinking? What did I do? It's not over. 
There's always grace. So number one, the prison. Number two, the pit. Verse six. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there is no water, but, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. Now these officials, they cast Jeremiah in this cistern. But I want you to notice what they did. Oh, they're such sweethearts. They lowered him down with ropes. Didn't that bless your little old heart? They did, they did him so right. They just lowered him down because they didn't want to be the ones that killed him. They wanted him to die, but they didn't want his blood to be on their hands. So they didn't chop off his head. They didn't slit his throat. They didn't hang him. They didn't stone him. They just took him from one location and put him over here. Easy. Now, if he dies of starvation, if he dies from the elements, that's not our fault. And they didn't push him down there either. Because if he'd have got injured on the way down, then that would have been their fault once again. So they were content to let the dude starve to death. They were content just to let the elements get him. They're justifying their actions as not that bad. They say, we didn't kill him. He just happened to die because of something we did, but we didn't kill him. He, he just starved to death. He died, but we weren't the ones that pulled the trigger. You cannot escape the consequences of sin on a technicality. You cannot do it. We try that today. That might work in a football game. It does not work with God. We say things today like, Oh, but I didn't know it was wrong. I didn't know. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Oh, but it wasn't that bad. I've seen other people do way worse than I've done. It was not that bad. And I didn't hurt anybody else. No one was involved with me. I never hurt anybody. It's even not even that bad because nobody found out about it. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody knows about it. God knows. God's hurt. Let me tell you something. God doesn't let things go. I'm telling you this out of love. And I'm preaching in the mirror to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. God does not let things go. God does not let things slip. Why? He's too just of a God for that. One day everything will be spoken, shouted from the rooftop. Listen, most wealthy households had cisterns, and it was a pit used to catch rainwater to use for drinking and for other uses. The drought that was going on during the siege meant that the, the cistern was empty. It usually had a narrow bottleneck opening that bottlenecked out into a larger uh, pit on the inside. And it was dark, just that one little narrow hole of light. And can, can you just put yourself for a minute... Can you put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes in that pit? 
Can you just imagine this morning what was going on in his mind while he was down in that pit? You know, if you read the book of Jeremiah and you read how Jeremiah reacted to people, Jeremiah was very brazen. Jeremiah was very bold. Jeremiah would stand up to people and he would look them in their God-given eyeball and he would tell them the truth. He didn't care who they were. He didn't care if they were common people or priests or he didn't care if they were the politicians. He didn't care if it was a king. He would point his finger at that king and tell that king the truth. He stood boldly proclaiming the word of God. But would it surprise you for me to tell you that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet of God, the bold prophet of God, would it surprise me? Would it surprise you for me to tell you that he struggled with his faith? What? What? I struggle with my faith. Jeremiah, the prophet, and he's wrote a couple of books in here. There's a big book in here with his name on it. And this guy struggled with his faith. He did. In Jeremiah's prayers, he would often share his confusion with God. Jeremiah 12:1 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the wicked prospered? Why are all those that deal in treachery at ease? <laughs> Why do good things happen to bad people? That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I mean, we talked about that already. Man, it seems like Jeremiah struggled with his faith just like everybody else. One day, Jeremiah was beaten mercilessly. He was put in stocks to be mocked and laughed at and pointed fingers at. And in that ordeal, Jeremiah looked up to heaven and he complains to God in Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. Jeremiah looks at God and says, God, you tricked me. You deceived me, God. Now, God can't trick or deceive anybody. But Jeremiah struggled on the inside. Later on in that chapter, in verse 14, he says, I regret the day I was even born. Jeremiah struggled with his face just like me and you. But Jeremiah, when the time came, Jeremiah knew which way to look, and that was up. And he, there was only one way to look. He looked up at that pit, and eventually there came a man to the top of that pit. We don't know how long Jeremiah was in the pit. I think it was for a pretty long time. I think he was close to death. But, you know, he looked at the top of that pit and eventually come to the top of that pit, a man named Ebed-Melech. Let's look at verse 7. But Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch, while he was in the king's palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. Now the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin, and Ebed-Melech went out from the king's palace and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the cistern, and he will die right where he is because of the famine, for there is no more we know about this guy? What do we know about this guy named Ebed-Melech? Well, what we do know is that the Bible goes out of its way to tell us this guy's a nobody. Did you know that? The Bible goes out of its way to tell us this guy is a nobody. Do you know what the name Ebed-Melech means? 
It means servant of the king. The guy doesn't even have his own identity. His own name and his own identity have been stripped away and he just stands there. His only identity is servant of the king. It is slave. But what can we deduce from his character? Well, he knew who Jeremiah was. He knew the message that Jeremiah was preaching. But he also knew that you can't hide from hard truth. And he knew that sweeping it under the rug does not make it better. It only makes it worse. And that killing this prophet, doing this terrible, unjust thing of letting this man starve to death is not going to change the message of God. So ebed Melech goes to the king who's at the Benjamin gate. So he's, the king is judging. He's in public. He goes and he publicly calls for Jeremiah's rescue. Let's look at the king's response in verse 10. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian saying, take 30 men from here under your authority and bring up Jeremiah the prophet from the cistern before he dies. Now, why 30 men? Why did he need 30 men? I mean, you think about it, you need at least two guys to pull him out of the pit. Maybe four if he's stuck in some mud. Why did he take 30? He took 30 men to guard against the officials that put Jeremiah in there in the first place. Because if Ebed-Melech would have went by himself without any guards in place, they would have pushed him in the pit too. That's why he had to take 30 men. So Ebed-Melech, he takes rags and old garments and he ties them together. He makes a makeshift rope. He throws it down to Jeremiah. He tells Jeremiah to put the rope in his armpits and they pull him up with so much care. So what can we learn from Ebed-Melech? What lessons does this man have to teach us today about facing hard truth? What lessons can this servant of the king, can the slave of the king teach us about facing the consequences of sin? Number one, sweeping it under the rug does not make it go away. It only makes things worse. Number two, I know you fail, I know you messed up but you're still a servant of God. You can still serve him. Now, if you've messed up really bad, maybe you can't serve him in the way that you used to, but you can still serve him. God's not done with you. Number three, you can set up guards in your life to keep you from falling back in the pit. Now you know where you weak. Now you know where the guards need to be. Now you can be accountable. You know in your life where you can trust yourself and where you can't trust yourself to prevent you from falling back into the pit of sin. And number four, it's going to take precious time and precious care, but redemption is assured. In chapter 39 of verse 15 through 18, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he said, look, you go, you go Jeremiah, you go tell Ebed-Melech that I am going to redeem him. That when this city falls, he has no fear. Because he looked after you, I am going to spare him. And Ebed-Melech was spared. He got his redemption. He did not hide from his consequences. And then so we've got the prison, we've got the pit, and then number three, we see Jeremiah in the palace. 
After this whole incident in the pit, he's called to the king's palace. He's called to stand before old King Zedekiah. And let me tell you today about old King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah is the most wishy-washy, cowardly, spineless, yellow-bellied king that Israel ever saw. He was the most wishy-washy king. No wonder Judah's in trouble because they've had a king that can't make up his mind. Back when the officials wanted to throw Jeremiah in the pit in the first place, go to verse 5 and let's see what the king said. So the king Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. This weak, spineless king wouldn't even stand up to these officials. You see, Zedekiah was a puppet king. He was a puppet king set there by Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, you know, he was set there by Nebuchadnezzar until he turned on Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why they've laid siege to the city in the first place. And so not a lot of people respected Zedekiah. In fact, the king they wanted was Jehoiakim. They wanted Jehoiakim as king, not Zedekiah. So nobody respected him. But here's the problem with Zedekiah. Is Zedekiah changed his mind depending on who was talking to him. He wanted to be popular. So whoever he was talking to at the time, that's who he agreed with. I mean, at the end of chapter 37, he agreed to let Jeremiah live. In this instance, he said, okay, you can kill Jeremiah. And then he changed his mind again and said, okay, you can rescue Jeremiah. At the end of chapter 38, he threw Jeremiah back in prison. This king doesn't know what he wants to do. He's so wishy-washy. He couldn't decide if he wanted to do God's will or if he wanted public opinion on his side. All he wanted was to be popular. All he wanted was to try and make everybody happy. So you've got Ebed-Melech on one side that doesn't care what you think of him, that doesn't care who mocks him. He'll stand in front of the king. He'll stand in public and he'll say, murdering this man is wrong. You need to save his life. He doesn't care if the king takes his life. He's going to stand for what's right. And on the other side, you've got King Zedekiah, who whichever way the wind blows, that's the way he's going to go. Man, I'm a cool dude. Yeah. You want this? You got it. Oh, you want something different? Don't tell him, but I'll give you what you want to. And whichever way he went, he's just trying to make everybody happy. He swayed whoever he talks to at the time. And what I equate that to is I equate that to someone who comes to church and sheds crocodile sins, uh, tears for their sins and then goes out during the week and there's no change in their life. Zedekiah says to Jeremiah, tell me the truth. He brings Jeremiah as soon as he gets out of the pit. He stands Jeremiah in front of him and says, Jeremiah, tell me the truth. And Jeremiah looks back to the king and in so many words says, you can't handle the truth. Because if I tell you the truth, you are going to kill me. And Zedekiah's promises, no, no, I will not kill you. So so Jeremiah looks at Zedekiah and says, okay, well, then here's the truth. If you don't surrender, you're going to die. If you don't surrender, then your wives are going to lament as they're given to other people. Your children are going to be slaughtered. The city is going to be burned down. 
The only way to save your life and to save your family is to surrender. Man, Jeremiah laid it down. So where did Zedekiah's mind go? Let's look at verse 19. Then King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I dread the Jews who have gone over to the Chaldeans, for they may give me over into their hand, and they will abuse me. That's where his mind went. You know, it's a very good possibility that the only abuse that Zedekiah would have had to endure is laughing and mocking and contempt from those Jews who had already surrendered. I mean, the only thing he, he would have he would probably endure was people talking bad about him. I mean, that, imagine them saying, Ha ha, hey, King Zedekiah, we surrendered months ago when you told us to keep fighting. Look who surrendered now. Ha ha, Zedekiah, you're wrong. That's it. Words. Words. That's all he would have had to endure but he cared more about what people thought about him. So once again, Zedekiah ignored Jeremiah's warning, sent him back to prison, told him not to tell anybody what they talked about, basically saying, don't tell on me. Jeremiah upheld his request and went back to prison, but Jeremiah was better off in prison than the king was who was in the palace who knew what the right thing to do was and didn't have the courage to do it. There are Christians in here today. There are Christians on that phone right there. You know what the right thing to do is, and you don't have the courage to do it. You don't have the courage to stand up for God. You don't have the courage to walk away from your sin. And you're going to suffer because of it. Man, would to God I had some people like Ebed Melech. Would to God we would be like this servant of the king who said, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to get right. Because you can't run away from the consequences of your sin. So because Zedekiah feared public opinion more than he feared God, it took 30 months for Jerusalem to be taken over by the Babylonians. And let me tell you, when Babylon entered that city 30 months later, old Nebuchadnezzar was not too happy that Zedekiah had made him wait 30 months. So he took Zedekiah, he took him outside the city, watched as he gave his wives away to other men, made him watch as they slaughtered every one of his children, gouged his eyes out where it would be the last thing he would ever see and marched him across the desert to live out the rest of his life in a miserable existence. All because Zedekiah said to himself, man, I don't want people whispering behind my back. Man, I don't want people, I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want to be mocked. Let me tell you something today, Christian. The longer you live in disobedience to the Word of God, the worse it's going to get. Do not sacrifice God's redemption of you because you're afraid of what people will think of you. People say, man, if I start going back to church, people are going to be whispering behind my back, laughing behind my back. Do the old, hey, where you been? Number one, I guarantee you nobody at this church will do that. I guarantee that. And even if they do, so what? 
Who are we here to please? Are we here to please God? Or are we here to please man? Galatians 1.10, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Or in the words of Jeremiah himself, Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Face your consequences today. I guarantee you it'll be much better than facing them tomorrow. Who is this message to? We all have sin that we struggle with. Not just any sin, specific sin. And we know if we're redeemed, we have the Holy Spirit, we know that that sin is wrong. We just have to repent. And no sin, no one sin is worse. Nobody's sinning worse over here than somebody else. It's all against God's law. But there is a way to redemption. There is a way for you to get back what God, get back in the center of God's will, and that is to repent of your sin. If you're in here today and you've never been saved, if you're in here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, you don't know that you're on your way to heaven, if I were to ask you the question, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And you say, Brother Brent, I don't know where I would go. I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I'd spend eternity with God. Well, today's the day to get that question answered. We can take a Bible and show you without a, that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven and you never have to doubt it again because the Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption. And once you are saved, you are saved for eternity. And if that's you in here today, then today is time to get saved. Today's the day of salvation. But if you are saved and you're struggling with sin, today's the day to leave it at an altar. Today's a day to repent. Today's a day to say, God, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of running away from the consequences. I don't want this thing to carry me any further away from you than it already has. I am desperate to get back into a right relationship with you. Today's a day to do that. Today's the day. It's time to face the consequences.